Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 36 on the paper trail with Eileen Hull, recorded on September 1st, 2015. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. Well, I've just come back from 12 scintillating days in your house. Basking in my presence, that's correct. Basking in your presence, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I did worry about being gone that long, whether I was going to be able to actually get some work done, as they say, Um, especially because obviously computer work and stuff is easy on the go, but I was worried about actually being able to make some art on the go. You always have something with you. In fact, what did you bring on the train with you? Well, so I brought my mola. I'm I'm mola obsessed. And a mola is this thing that the Kuna Indians in Panama make. They're these beautiful stitched, um, really like intricate reverse applique pieces. I am making what I call a caveman style version. I'm sure like a three-year-old Kuna Indian woman, I guess you're not a woman when you're three, but a th- three-year-old could probably out-sew me. But I'm having a lot of fun. And that, that was a good sewing project. And I did that on the train. I did it. Yeah, well, we were watching movies or like hanging out and stuff like that at home. I also, I brought my art journal and I managed to uh, not use any paint, but I brought like a big bag of markers and I managed to make markers work for me in my art journal. And I sort of played with ways of making them painterly. And as always, when you limit your supplies, I think your creativity kind of blossoms. I think that's true about a lot of things. I mean, we'll go back to cooking because that's where I come from. When you have to work with a limited range of ingredients or with what's already in your refrigerator, I think sometimes you come up with some unexpected but quite delicious results. Yeah, I think that's why challenges are so awesome because like when, you know, there are a lot of online challenge groups and stuff and they'll say, okay, make a project that uses only XYZ or that is inspired by this, that somehow that narrowing forces your creativity to rise. Right. Exactly. So what else? You did other creative things while you were here. I did. I don't feel like I did almost anything creative, but I'm glad that you think well, so. Well, you you wrote, you worked in your art journal. You're That's pretty true. consistently. I did. I, right. I did, which I did mention. I also worked on some um, coloring book page stuff for cloth, paper, scissors, which I hope I'm allowed to say the cloth, paper, scissors is doing some coloring book stuff. I also um, think that... Uh, which you do all the time is part of the creative process and often those photographs resurface later in some project that's true and you taught me how to do some cooking and I actually put a recipe on my blog that was a dessert of yours that was really good and that's kind of creative Uh, creativity is an interesting thing not restricted to one area I don't think people who are creative say oh I'm only going to be creative in the way I dress, but not in the way I, you know, decorate my house or uh, in the gift I give. I think people who are uh, interested in being creative are creative in multiple spheres. I think that's true. I went to a party recently and someone asked me if I would ask me what I did. And I said I was an artist. And they asked me if I'd always been an artist. And I said, no, you know, I used to work in the theater. And they said, no, so you've always been an artist, just a different kind of artist. And it's interesting because I never thought of being uh, a director in the theater as being an artist. But of course it is. Um, But it's funny how we just sort of categorize things right in our brains. 
Right. And people often even talk about, for example, math, higher level math, that it's creative. I, I just think we somehow think to be creative, you have to wear a beret or something. I don't look good in a beret, by the way. Well, there you are. You'll never succeed. I'll never succeed at being an artist. Well, someone who is an artist and is creative and also knows a lot about taking crafts on the go is our guest today, who is also, uh, we have two Eileen's on the podcast today. We, of course, have got my mother, Eileen Schubalzer, and we have got Eileen Hull. So Eileen Hull grew up in a large family where there was always an art project in the works, and learning to think creatively has been a huge benefit throughout her life from 13 military moves, which, by the way, sounds like a nightmare to me because uh, I can't even imagine, and raising four children, which also sounds very, very hard, uh, to developing product lines for craft manufacturers. Now, that's the first thing that sounds like fun. So in 2009, Sizzix launched her signature line of scoreboards dies, and these are dies that are specially designed to cut and score mat board and thicker materials and she has a new collection coming out in October which is actually her 12th collection it's called stitchlets which she's going to talk to us a little bit about and she also has a line of ink applicators called color box blends with the company clear snap which I want to hear about I didn't know about these so I'm excited to know about them um, and Eileen lives in Virginia, and the newest addition to her family is a completely adorable vintage camper called Scotty, which if you look at the show notes, you'll be able to see some pictures of Scotty. And Eileen outfitted this as a mobile studio, and they have been to 30 states together, so it's, it's a uh, serious romance there. So welcome, Eileen. Hi, Julie and Eileen. Hi. Eileen times two. So, okay, I want to talk about so many things. All right. So, obviously, you said, you know, in your family, there was always an art project in the work. So, have you just, like, through all time, as long as you can remember, always been a crafty, arty person? Uh, not always, but I had, well, I'm the oldest of six, and there were four girls within five years. So, we were a little competitive and uh, <laughs> I can imagine to a cartwheel. We'd all have to learn how to do the cartwheel. Some took longer than others like me, but uh, I think that kind of stretched me and made me do things that maybe normally I wouldn't have. Uh, but one thing that we did do was we would get home from school, all the girls, and we would go into that. We had this little round room, like a turret kind of room. And uh, we had the sound of music cranked up. And we would make paper dolls for like days on end, just mm -hmm. make paper dolls. And we just had so much fun. And then we started making furniture and, you know, it's just, my mom would do things like she was more of a sewer. So she would make clothing for us. Um, I remember one time she went up in the attic of that house and she found a bunch of quilt blocks. So she decided I'm going to make a quilt. Another time she made like a, a wool, uh, you know, one of those braided rugs, and she would just try anything. And then my dad, he was also very creative, kind of in a, a different way. And I love that discussion that you and, and Eileen had, or you both had, um, about being creative in all different aspects of your life. Because I think if we limit ourselves to thinking that way, just in what we do professionally, uh, we miss out on a lot. Like, I think that a lot of people need to look at their business creatively. Like, how am I going to spin this? You know, with, with all of the different things that, that have been happening, you know, social media coming up and magazines dying out and 
just so many things. You constantly have to be adjusting the way you present yourself and and um, being creative in that. So. And I think creative thinking for business is actually huge business. I mean, there are definitely companies in New York that bring, you know, improv and acting skills into your business so that you learn how to do some of that stuff. Other people who will do uh, like painting for corporate situations to release like your inner creativity. I mean, it's all very interesting because I think people realize that those things are important. You know, people talk a lot of times about like how a jazz band improvises by listening and that's how businesses need to improvise improvise by listening right exactly creativity goes around yeah it's fun too so uh, here's the question so with 13 military moves which seems like oh. a lot how many years was that over <laughs> oh 20 years that still yeah. seems like a lot yeah it was a lot but you know it was fun because we got to see all these different places and really in all that time okay i would say alabama was my least favorite but they were all good places to go. And I learned different things in each place. Like I tried to take classes and, uh, you know, we lived in Kentucky and I took some basket making classes, um, cal calligraphy, you know, just whatever was kind of indigenous to that area. So that was kind of fun. And I don't know if I would have done that if I was in one place. So well, I also think that craft is a great way to meet people. Like when you mm -hmm. go somewhere new and you take a class and you meet other people in the area who basically are interested in the same stuff that makes you excited. Right. Well, and the other thing is too, when you're on a post, you're meeting new people that are coming from all over the place. So even within that group, you have a whole new pool of inspiration. So that was kind of So fun. let me ask you a moving craft related question, which <laughs> okay. is uh, when you are in the midst of moving, you're obviously usually downsizing and saying, do I really need to take this with me? Right. And <laughs> yeah, so, well, so the question, well, so the question is like my, my studio or craft room or whatever you want to call it, the craftorium is sometimes what I call <laughs> it, uh, it is really a place where everything on earth goes to die. Hmm. So, <laughs> so the question is like, did you have like the, a super lean and mean craft studio, especially if you were interested in such a diverse group of things, such as like basket weaving and calligraphy. I mean, those require obviously very different mm -hmm. supplies. So how, how did you manage that with all the moves? Well, I haven't managed too well because I have a lot of it still with me, but um, <laughs> some of it, you know, well, and every time you move, like if your husband got a promotion, you'd get more weight that you could move with you. So that was sometimes a problem. But um, I just, I started uh, kind of earlier on, I was doing wood. I was actually cutting out wood when like country was very popular. And I would, I had my own kind of version of a home party, like a Tupperware party, but I would go and bring stuff that I made and sell it and take orders and stuff. But that was one thing that went kind of quickly by the wayside because the wood was just too heavy to move. You know, I mean, you can get more wood, but I had all the equipment like this huge bandsaw and, and stuff. So that's when I kind of went more with the paper and stuck with that. So a lighter version of wood. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Unless you have like 2000 pounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> which I may have down there. Now I wow. have, I'm really lucky. I have my whole basement, which is pretty big. But then the challenge is 
you have it, you unpack it, and then you don't look at it for 10 years. So I really need to go through and purge. In a way, you know, I think you're lucky in having a small amount of room is good because you only keep what you need and you don't constantly purge. Or, you know, you do have to purge, which I See, don't. If only that were true. What I've actually, my the skill <laughs> I've developed is not purging. The skill I've developed is stacking. Ah, I, I yes. am like, I can puzzle stack my way. I mean, if you opened a closet or looked at a shelf, you'd be like, what? Uh, oh, I could probably relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a run for my money. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been um, in one place now? Oh, we've been in Virginia now. Well, in two houses, but we've been here about 20 years. So, that's, so. so that makes, that's great. That makes a nice, stable, easy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. When, when the kids got in high school, we, well, we had the option of staying in or getting out of the army. And we just decided let's stay here and let the kids all go through the same high school and, you know, just feel settled. So that was kind of nice. And did you turn your kids crafty? Uh, yeah, one of them, my third one, she started her own business. She was knitting and crocheting props for newborn photographers. And she had this great little system going because she would send her products to these photographers. They'd make amazing, they'd take photos with them, which looked great, which helped her to sell her stuff. Um, but now she actually decided she wants to get into more of the photography side. So, um, She's doing that. She just moved here. Now all the kids are nearby, so it's kind of fun. Uh, and then my second one, she's a nurse, but she does beading. She hasn't done it in a while, but I know it's in her, so she, she'll come back to it. And my son, he is he does a lot of stuff, and he is very creative, too. He probably wouldn't say that, but he is. And then my fourth one, she is, too. She's getting married, so she has a Pinterest board that is outrageous and wants to do everything on it. So, you know, it's kind of all over the place, but yeah, I would say. Well, I was going to say, what are you getting uh, roped into doing for the wedding? What are you making? She doesn't have a date yet, so I told her, you get a date and then we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to nail that one down. Jeez. I see centerpieces in your future. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Favor boxes for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not just yeah. the wedding. It's their ancillary parties. There's lead oh, up yeah. to the whole thing. Yes, that is true. And that is fun because, I mean, when you can use something that you designed, it's just cool. And, you know, it's actually functional <laughs> as well as being fun. But, you know, when you can make a favor box that you you designed and someone produces, that's just kind of a cool thing. So yeah, I look forward to that. Well, I remember the fa my favorite thing from my wedding uh, when I got married was that I actually made our wedding rings. Oh, wow. And that really just Ooh. made them so much more special. So even though now that I'm divorced, I still have my wedding ring yeah, because but... it's something that I made and I feel yes. weird about throwing it away. Oh, no. Didn't we also during, you had a bridal, you had a weekend and your friends came and crafting was part of it she had everybody bring photographs yeah and everybody stories. well 
Yeah, we did a we did it. This is like the nerdiest thing. So everybody has like a fabulous bachelorette weekend that they want, right? Mine was that I forced my friends who are not crafty, none of my friends are crafters, <laughs> to scrapbook with me, and uh, I had them each bring a photo of themselves and do a page about themselves, so that I would have a book that was all about my friends. That's great. You know, we went to a little store that had like supplies and everybody made stuff. It was actually really sweet. And a lot of them who were not scrapbookers were like, oh, wow, this was fun. I see why you like it. And I was like, yes, I'm not crazy. <laughs> well, I might be crazy, but I'm not crazy because I like scrapbooking. Right. That's yes, that was fun. And actually, also, Mom, if you'll recall, a really dear um, close friend of the family threw me a uh, a shower, and she did something kind of crafty, too, which is she got recipes. In lieu of gifts, we asked people just to bring a favorite recipe. And so everybody got recipes, and she hired a book artist oh, to wow. bind them into a beautiful handmade book, which I have. Cool. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. It's a beautiful, you know, so the recipes are both sentimental, and then the book itself is just a beautiful piece of art. Neat. What a great gift. That's better than getting a blender, for sure. It is. Well, yeah. you know, also, I think the thing, this is so tangential on the topic, but I always think the thing, and Mom, you and I have discussed this a lot, the thing that is so nice about getting married in some ways is that you feel like you're passing through a portal that other people have been through. Yeah. You know, and you're entering a community. Uh, you're yeah. entering a different kind of community. And if you uh, are friends with your parents' friends, then it's sort of like they welcome you into this long uh, historical line. It's really yeah. kind of a nice thing. Yeah, and so like the recipes to me were such an like a an element of that because it was really most of you know it was my my mom's friends who are women that I really respect and love, you know who sort of I felt like were passing on to me. Hey, this is the recipe I make when I'm going to a potluck, or this is how this is a great meal for a group, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that and so useful too. And it loops back to our to our topic about everybody's creative because everybody is creative. They all brought recipes. That's creativity. Right. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. Creativity is everywhere. Okay, so right. you and I know each other from the Craft and Hobby Association. That's where mm -hmm. we first met. Right. Um, several years ago. And um, I know that you recently went to the Paper Arts show, which is the new summer show that CHA offers. And in fact, your camper was on the show floor. And I'd love it if um, you're one of the only people I know who went. So <laughs> I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about um, the show, how maybe it's different from like the winter show, et cetera. Okay, sure. Well, it was not a large show at all, which a lot of people don't like because you know, it all depends on your perspective, who you are and what you're doing there. Um, the manufacturers are there to write orders. So having, um, I don't know, that could be good because the pool is smaller. You know, people come with a certain amount of money and they're going to spend it. Uh, all the vendors that I talked to are very happy with it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know that it's going to continue next year because it was so small. Um, and it takes money to put on a show. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. There's also another show called the Sierra Pacific show. And that was, I think, like just a couple days later. And that was held out in Salt Lake City. That that probably had three times as many vendors. And I know that most of the ones that did 
the uh, paper art show were headed on to that also. And I don't think they are, were dying to do two of them, but they did this time, but I don't, I don't know if, you know, I don't want to say they're not having another one, but I don't think they are. So, but for me, it was amazing. <laughs> I was the only trailer on the floor. So uh, everyone had to come and say hi and sign their name in the little ledger that I have and, uh, you know, get their picture taken in front of Scotty. So that was fun. And also uh, another reason that I went, I had that new line of dyes coming out. So uh, CHA had partnered with Crafters Home, which is kind of a buying group a bunch of stores that all get together to use their combined, uh, you know, buying power and put it together to get better prices. So they had done um, two days before the paper art show. So I went early and taught at that. And then um, I was also able to sign on a bunch of stores for my next trip. So I got a lot done at that show. That was great. So let's, let's talk about Scotty and let's talk mm -hmm. about your next trip. Okay. Yes, it's starting soon. September 9th, I pull out and I will be gone for 52 days. And I am headed up through Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma. I think I missed one in there. Kansas. I don't have a map in front of me. A lot of, a lot of states. <laughs> so what I do is I pack up all of my supplies and I have sponsors that are, that I'm working with and they're, they're, um, I design classes using their products. So that's what I'll be teaching at the stores. So, um, each store, I think there are 23 at this point, I have some adding and some subtracting constantly, but I think that's what we're at right now. Um, so I go to their store and I teach one of the classes that they selected one or two. Usually when I go, it's, you know, if I have bring everything in, it's like I might as well do too. So um, I just teach the classes and I educate using the products that I design, which is a lot of fun because a lot of people still don't know what scoreboard dies are. So it's fun when they learn how to use it and they say, oh, you know, so. Uh, well, for people who don't know, I mean, go from the beginning, like talk to us about okay. Matt Board first and then why you came up with uh, this whole idea. Okay. Well, it kind of started what we were talking about. I started out with wood. Then I went to stitching. So I was making these cross-stitch samplers, wedding samplers for friends of ours that would have babies or get married because we didn't have a lot of money. You know, we were newly uh, married and in the army. And so I would do the stitching and then I'd go to the craft store on, on post or the craft shop and mat and frame these stitched pieces. So I was exposed to mat board, which I had never worked with before. And I could not get rid of it because you'd have all this leftover stuff, you know, whatever came out of the middle of the opening, you'd have it. And they were beautiful colors and just something substantial about it, which is I just loved it. So I, you talk about stacks. I had stacks and stacks and stacks of mat board. So I started like using my craft knife and a metal ruler and I would just score and fold and cut and bend and, and make books and folders and boxes and, and totes and stuff like that. So um, I just couldn't get rid of it. And I, but the problem with that was 
you know, when you're doing everything by hand, there's always that margin of error. So you wouldn't maybe get an accurate cut. So things didn't line up or, you know, there were problems with doing it all by hand. Plus it just took so long. So uh, I had the idea that, you know, if I was having fun making these boxes and books that maybe others would. So uh, I had gotten into CHA at that time and I thought maybe a die cut company could do that for me. So I wound up talking with Sizzix at one of the shows and they looked at it and they said, yeah, we, you know, we could do that. So we worked together and we came up with these dies that are called scoreboards and they're meant to work with thick stuff. I mean, they'll cut paper too, but they won't score it because the blade, you know, it's not thick enough for the blade to, to score. So um, anyway, that's how we came up with the scoreboards idea. And I've been really lucky. Um, they've been I've been working with them since 2009. We have a great relationship. They're an amazing company. Their customer service is unbelievable. And I'm just really happy working with them. And I, I think we have a great relationship. So that's how that came about. <laughs> Julie? Did something happen? Oh, I'm her? sorry. Can you hear me? <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I, I muted my microphone because I was drinking and I didn't want my gulping oh. to be heard. And then I started talking and nobody could hear me. Oh, I thought, uh oh, maybe I said we could too just, much. We could just you said cut too much. This where you said you were drinking. <laughs> I was drinking water, to be clear. Right. Anyway. Uh, no, so what I was going to say is I get a lot of email from people, and I'm sure you do too, asking about like, how do you get a line of product? And obviously you're saying you had an idea. It was different than what was out there in the market. And now when you say that you approached Sizzix, I think the question that a lot of people have is, did you sort of randomly walk into their booth at CHA and be like, hey, I have this idea? Oh. Or did you have a contact or make no. an appointment? Well, I have done that too. But uh, for that particular time, because I had not done it before, I had taken a booth and I think you you didn't have one that year, but I think you went the next year. I got a license and design booth when they were doing that with CHA because I wanted to kind of put my work out there and see if it could be taken or adapted by a manufacturer or company uh, somehow. So I did take a little risk and spent some money and really thought about how that might work. So you have to kind of strategize a little bit and you have to be willing to take a risk. So that's all part of it. But um, that particular time, I, I was talking with the person who was kind of the admin of the show of the license and design area. And I said to her, tell me when the Sizzix people come through because I want to talk to them. So it was like five minutes before the end of the show. And she comes running over. She's like, Eileen, they're here. You know, Sizzix is here. So she pointed them out and I went over and asked them if they would like to come to the booth. I had some samples that I had made up showing what my ideas were. I didn't have them out, but I had them, you know, and so they came and I also had a book that was out right at that show um, about mat board. So they kind of knew, well, she must know what she's talking about if she did a book about it. So, I mean, I think you have to have some credibility in that. Uh, so people know you have some idea what you're talking about and then just do it. I mean, what can it hurt? So they say no big deal. 
you know. Yeah, I think the credibility thing is really important. Um, whatever it may be, whatever your bona fides may be. Um, and I also think, like, I am sad that the licensing and design section doesn't exist at CHA because I think it was a really important um, yeah. opportunity creator. Can that be a phrase? Yeah. For people, because there isn't really a way, I mean, to, because there it is, you've spent the money, you hmm. have your portfolio out, you have, you know what I mean? And even the designer showcase now isn't really the same thing and doesn't you know connect in the same way yeah. either and plus i know cha doesn't do the program that they used to do with art directors right to get yeah. them in to see the work because i know that my first licensing deal with crafters workshop really came about after i had a licensing booth and that sort of announced me i think i had had a previous relationship with jamie over at crafters workshop just as a you know demo and user sure. and but yeah. it sort of announced i guess my serious intention my commitment through finance of having purchased yeah. you know booth space that mm -hmm. this was a serious thing i wanted to do and very soon after that it sort of at the end of the show she said to me i never realized you wanted to let's um let's try it well, that's Don't good. Don't you think that the internet has changed the way manufacturers find their designers too? I mean, they yeah. don't have to pay for travel and shrink right. around to these shows right. because they can just go online and see 500 people's work. Yeah, portfolio. That's true. But I think that there are still some who will look around and, you know, kind of keep their eye out because... I think they want more than just art. I think they want a story. They want a brand. They want someone who has a social media presence anymore. I know um, I did a proposal for a book, I don't know, I guess maybe a year and a half ago. And I could not believe how much they were asking about my numbers from my blog, my how many followers, all that stuff. Because I think they recognize they're going to sell more if they get with a person who has a large following. So yeah, everything all adds up. It's hard to know the right combination <laughs> and it's hard to do the right. You, you can't do it all. So I don't know, Eileen, I don't know how it's going to happen. <laughs> so I think it's, yeah, I was going to say, I think I agree with you that I think like things have definitely changed in the way that companies approach. And I also think it depends like Eileen, you're a personality with Sizzix. Like they are very, that's a company that's very keyed into our signature designers. Mm -hmm. you true. know and they do very much promote like you as a designer and I would I have no idea what's in your contract and you certainly don't have to say but I would venture to <laughs> hazard a guess that like you probably have a morality clause in your contract with them and stuff like that because who you are mm -hmm. is actually a reflection on their brand right so that's why they yeah. actually need to know who you are yeah well I know. think they kind of developed it it used to be that Sizzix used all their own in-house artists um to do the artwork and when I signed on with them, I was one of the first ones. Uh, there was Brenda Pinnock. I don't know if you remember her. She was one ahead of me. And then Tim Holtz came on after me. So that kind of evolved a little bit. And I think um, through the... Well, um I think I was going to say, sorry to interrupt, but I interrupt all the time. So I'm not really sorry. Uh <laughs> Tim Holtz actually changed the industry a lot in terms of signature designers, in my opinion, because I agree that almost everything used to be in-house. And even if it wasn't, you didn't really know the names of the designers. 
Right. But then, you know, his name was on everything and it right. started, people started to figure out that if it had his name on it, it would sell. So then right. other people thought, well, I can't get Tim to do something with me, but maybe I can get somebody else to do something with right. me. And now, I mean, it just, the thing that always makes me laugh a little is like the Teresa Collins stamp maker, which was a product that had existed for five years. Yeah. But when she put her name on it, literally yeah. that's, I think all yeah. they did, it yeah. sold like crazy. And, and I think like with the biggest change I've seen in the industry in the time I've been in it is that the idea of signature designers has spread like wildfire everywhere. That's what, and I'm trying to think of a single company right now in my brain that doesn't have some sort of, they're few and far between people who don't have signature designers. I mean, like American Crafts has their signature designers, even mm -hmm. though they really, it's all done by the same graphic designers right yeah but they uh, still each have their own flavor right yeah. but isn't it interesting that the it used to be that the company was the star and then they would have design teams but the design teams were uh there briefly and then they would move on and new people would come and now the companies are looking for people who are already stars to enhance them and the mm. company. I mean, I just think that model has changed. There'll probably yeah. be more changes to come. And when you said, Eileen, that people want, are looking for people who already have a social media presence, that's part of the general trend of trying to uh, have somebody else bring their star power and enhance your product with stuff they've right. already done. So mm -hmm. they're, they're really, it's gone from making stars to looking for stars. Yeah. I remember yeah. Allie Edwards talking about how basically she was no one when creating keepsakes decided to take a risk and give her a column. Wow. You know, and yeah. she's superstar, you know, and she's a person who was smart and had good content and all that kind of stuff. And I think there are probably hundreds of people out there who are smart and have good content. But if they nowadays, if you don't already have the bona fides, it's difficult for someone to yeah. take a risk on you. Yeah. But it's also hard to have all that stuff if you don't. I mean, I had four kids. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. I remember ugh, the first time I had to submit artwork to Sizzix. And they're like, okay, send it in Illustrator. I said, well, I don't have it, but I can go get it. Okay, I'll send it on Monday. And then I got Illustrator. It's like, holy crap I can't even load it on my computer <laughs> I had to go buy a new computer I had to take a class on how to open this stupid thing it took me six months to even get to where I could do anything in illustrator so there are so many things behind every step of the way you know every time a new platform comes out you know periscope I want to do that but it's like man I don't want to look stupid on this <laughs> You know? <laughs> so you have to like learn everything and, and be good at it. And, you know, it, it that's a lot of stress. Like it, I'm it old. Is. I want to do all that. Well, I mean, it's also just a limited amount of time. Like I was trying out Snapchat and I was like, okay, I get this. This is fun. But like how, like then how many yeah. different mm -hmm. things are you posting to? Yeah. Right. And then it dilutes it. But then, you know, that's what they want to see. You have across the board presence you know, it's just hard. It's hard to juggle all that. Well, then here's a question for you. I mean, obviously you, uh, 
you know, promote your stuff and you probably choose people to help you promote your stuff. And mm -hmm. I do too, obviously. Yeah. But, and, and I think the thing is, I can't say that I'm blameless in that. I, I try hard to sort of pick a couple of people who I just think do good stuff, who I happen to have randomly come across. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then along with some people who have a bigger reach, who that's important because what in yeah. the end, what you need is eyeballs. Right. However, I, I think I have a different approach. Well, I, I don't go for numbers. I go for engaged people that care. So like my design team, they are amazing. I have 12 people that design with my product and they are, well, we call them the inspiration team because they are so out there in ways that they'll take a die and just make, you know, if it's meant to be a book, they'll build a cabinet out of it. They are crazy good. So um, I, I go for more the content and I think that the numbers will come, maybe not right away. And if they don't, you know, I mean, I can only do so much and I, I do it the way I want it because it's my company. So um, I, I am aware of all those other things, but at the same time, I'm going to do it how I want. <laughs> and so I love my team. They're actually, we, I have a design team coordinator and she and I, we agonized over the first time we put a call out and we're like, okay, we got like a crazy amount of people. And then we had to go through everyone. And so we got a team and there've been a couple changes here and there, but basically the same team I've had them forever because they're just so good. And they, they know my stuff. They, they know what I need. And so it's more of a community and I love that. So it, you know, I think it's, it's how you administer your, your, whatever you want to call that, you know, your company, I guess your brand, how you want to put that out there. So I agree. And I think design teams are also, I mean, here's the thing. Someone who has a ton of followers is not going to generally be on your design team, right? Right. Unless yeah. you are a huge brand or you're paying serious money, right? So right. if you want work ha ha horse people, you generally need to go for people who are more in the emerging stage of things. Do you know what I mean? It's more, yeah. and I think it, that's one of the reasons I think people do blog hops where it's like a one-off post or something that people do because that's where you can grab people who have uh, maybe more commitments out in the world and less time to give. Yeah. Well, I'm lucky. I have people who just, love to do it and they do and they are so generous and I'm just really lucky to have them so um, they do a project a month and I send them dies and um, they just go to town so I'm I'm not messing with that <laughs> so that's awesome so let's talk about your new um, product they have coming out Mm -hmm. with Sizzix. The Stitchless? What's, yeah. Yes. What's the deal? Well, they're kind of exciting because Sizzix has not done a die like that before. And it sounds really simple when you think about it, but basically all they are is a, a set, a grid, a set of holes. So there are no cutting edges except for the, you know, they punch holes in different materials. So like if you want to do a design on canvas you can place it wherever you want and punch these little holes. There, there are flowers. There's some uh, kind of chevron um, 
design, you know, shapes, and then you can stitch through the holes. So you can join them together. You can um, create borders and frames and stuff out of all these kind of basic grid shapes. Um, and then there are also some, some other supporting dies, the scoreboards. There's um, there's 12 in the collection. So a portion of them are scoreboards, and I hope to add on to those um, to give kind of a bigger bigger um, thing to choose from, you know, bigger pool. So design. let me just make sure that I understand. Yes, because I so, don't think I said that right. Okay, so like uh, I, I remember – like like Amy Tangerine for a while had a like that's a plastic template that you put on your paper and you take a paper piercer and you poke through the holes and then you get okay. a shape of an airplane and then you stitch it. So right. in my mind, what this is, is this is an airplane with holes and you put it into your big shot or whatever your Sizzix cutting machine is. And then it just punches those holes in one right. spot for you. So you don't have yes. to go with the paper piercer. Exactly. That is what it does. So there yeah. you go. You did explain it. I did understand it. Mom, <laughs> since you're not a crafter, did you understand any of that? Uh, I do understand English, but uh, <laughs> in my mind, uh, since you saw the Amy Tan thing and you were referring to that and I haven't seen it, it's yeah. a little harder. Okay, Eileen, think of like, you know, the lacing cards that I had no. when I was. Yeah. And <laughs> Julie, I want to tell you, Julie was great at it absolutely yes. great it's like color by you know how you just connect the dots kind of that's that's clearly what it, is. it would be my kind of crafting tool <laughs> it is fun it's very therapeutic because like I have done cross stitch and all that but when you do it with these dies it's you don't have to think about it you follow the dots and you just and the thing is you can use larger um larger threads like because the holes due to these you know specs of the dies they're larger so you can do like yarn through it you can do fibers uh thin ribbon um all different kinds of lacing materials so you can you can really go to town on that and just add a little element to whatever it is that you're making you wouldn't believe how much that extra dimension and like fuzziness adds it's really fun. And then some of the dyes I've been, I've always cut like felt and fabric fleece is fun. So my thing, and when I design a die, what I want to do is show options. So when I design like a, uh, I'm trying to think, I have a block. So it's a basic three by three block. When you put it together, it makes a mat board block. But if you hold it a certain way, you can use it to make a book out of it. I mean, I try to give a lot of versatility to whatever I design because honestly, I'm a cheapskate. If I'm going to pay $40 for a die, I don't want it to be like, I don't want it to limit me, like to be a certain shape. I want it to have a lot of different uses. So that's kind of my philosophy on that. <laughs> I you think know, this also good. speaks to this also speaks to two different mindsets. Some people want to know what the thing is going to look like when they're done. And mm -hmm. other people are kind of interested in the doing it and the process and they don't actually mind if it doesn't look like what they originally right. thought it would. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I have this issue with stencils all the time, which are obviously a lot cheaper. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about like eight bucks for a 12 okay. by 12 stencil, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing is, I, 
I prefer when I purchase things for them to be more general and offer more possibilities. Yeah. So like I am, I am less likely to buy something that is an airplane because that's rather specific, you know, right. yeah. and I am more likely to buy something that's like polka dots because that's yeah. general. However, yeah. the thing that's so interesting to me is because I always think I design things that I would want to buy. That's the only right. way I know how to design things. Yeah. And so, but it, what amazes me always is that everybody doesn't buy like me. I know. <laughs> and there are sense. so many people who really like absolutely specific things. And I'm always sort of amazed when I see stencils that I'm like, I would never buy that. I know. It's so specific. <laughs> how could you even use it on more than one project? And it right. just sells like crazy because it's yeah. cute or whatever. I mean, it's just so well, interesting. I know. I can, will never know the mind of, of the, I mean, except ones that are like me, like you say, yeah, I wanted to do a million different things. I wanted to have possibilities, I guess. Yes. I want everything to be a Swiss army knife. Yeah. Well, it, it goes to, are you the master of the tool or is the tool the master yeah. of you? Some people will never use just part of a stencil or part of a stamp. They always have to use the entire image. And so they're allowing, uh, it's not good or bad, but they're, they want the stencil or the stamp to tell them how it's going to be, how it's going to look. That's and true. then other people think of it as a kind of plastic thing. And at one point, Julie wrote a blog post, I think, about cutting up your stamps. Yeah. Those plastics. And so you cut them into pieces and use pieces <laughs> of them. And some people liked that and some people went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting when I teach it's because I send a photo of the project, whatever it is that we're going to do. And when I get there, I never know, am I going to get a group of people who want to make that exact project or do I get people who are going to just go off and it's going to look nothing like that by the time they're done. And right. what's interesting is the last trip that I went on, I would say 90% of the people were the ones who wanted to go off on their own, which was great. And either one is great. I mean, I'm, you know, if they want to make one that looks like mine, I'm flattered that they like that one. So it's, it's all what you want to do. And that's what's well, so great. And about that's that. why it's important to write the class description in a way <laughs> that's clear about what you're going to leave with because right. Julie has one yeah. class, for example, where basically you mess around the whole time and you leave with wonderful papers that you can use in other projects, but you're not going to leave with a project. Yeah. Yeah. So if the well, people know that in advance, that's fine. Yeah. Well, they're learning a technique though. So they're just, just to be clear, mom, the class that I'm, that people are just going to mess around in actually is sold out now. So I feel that rather was good that people <laughs> Are happy to just mess around. We're sensitive today. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I mean, I think the thing that's so interesting too is like I I always feel like when I teach, it's based on trust, which is and I and the question is there's two kinds of students that you get. It, it really is where like one kind of student, I'll just say, okay, I want you to go paint these papers, and some people will happily go off and do it, and another mm -hmm. series of people will be like, what are we doing after that? Yeah. Because yeah. they want to know like what the next step is, you know, yeah. and and one of the things I'm always saying when I teach is you you need to make things really ugly. You need to try super hard to make things <laughs> ugly because if you make them pretty, then you're done. Well, that's so, true. Right. Unless you want to be done. 
yeah. go ahead and make the things ugly. Hmm. I never thought of that. Right? Because as soon as yeah. it's pretty, it's done. That's the well, thing. I, like when people always say, oh, this background in my art journal is so nice. I don't want to cover it. It's like, yeah. well, then it's not a background. It's a piece of abstract art. Congratulations. You're done. Yeah, you're never going to write on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's this funny idea that people have that like every stage of things should be pretty. I mean, I like I look at makeup tutorials or stuff like that when people do that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like you people do not look good halfway through makeup. People do yeah. not look good halfway through hair. People do yeah. not look good. I mean, oh. a home, if you ever done a home renovation, I think you want to kill oh. yourself for 90 yeah. percent of the time, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. the thing, which is people have to understand that anytime you're making something, it, if it looks good in the middle, then you're kind of done. Yeah, that's true. That's well, why my life is such a mess, because I'm in the middle of it. Well, that's, we all are. <laughs> and that's the beauty that's of it. Good way. Good way to think of it. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so the last product thing I want to talk about is I want to make sure we get to these color box things, which I hadn't oh, heard yeah. of, and I want to know about them. I want to know what they are, how you got the deal, how they're different okay. from what's out there. Yeah, well, what is different is the applicator. The ink that is inside is a crafter's ink, which is a pigment ink. And honestly, I had not done a lot with pigment ink before because I was not patient enough to wait for it to dry. So um, it's been fun really playing with this stuff. But the way this idea came about was, um, I said, I have four kids and two of them were in the military at the time. And so I'm always looking for stuff to like put in their Christmas stocking or give them. And I was in the Dollar Tree and they had these little shoe polisher things. And it was like a little plastic canister. And then at the end was a round sponge. And so the, you know, the shoe polish was inside and then you would press on it and the ink would, or the um, shoe polish would come out. And so I bought them and I came home and I'm like, man, what if there was ink in there? You know, you wouldn't get your hands dirty. You could hold all the ink. You don't have to put a cap on or anything. You know, you just dab it on. So um, I went to Clear Snap. I was I was headed out to CHA. I mean, that was at Christmas. And then I went to CHA in, in January. And I wrote up a proposal and I talked to them and said, you know, I really think this could be a cool thing. So they agreed. And they... Um, they said, yeah, let's give it a try. So right now I have uh, 16 colors. I really love them. I mean, that's the most fun job ever is picking out colors, then naming them not so much fun always. <laughs> You'd think it would be, but it's sometimes, you know, if they already have that color or whatever. But um, anyway, well, the way that they work is there is this little sponge at the end of the canister. The canister holds 10 times as much ink as a stamp pad. So these things last forever um but what happens is there's like a little valve inside the center of this sponge when you press that down on your like non-stick mat it drops out a, a, a dot of ink and so you just kind of press 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 and then you rotate the sponge and you cover it with uh you know to distribute the ink on it and then you use it when you run out of ink you press down again and and more ink comes out it's really kind of cool. So is it the consistency of a regular pigment ink pad or is it more like yeah. a bingo dabber? No, no, it's not. It's a, it's a thick ink. It's pretty thick. It's, you know, like your pigment inks when you, you know, use a right. stamp with it. So like, yeah. so like the usual like cat's eye ink pads from right. Colorbox that you're used to just with tons more ink, obviously, in right. a different shape. Yeah. And a different way to apply it. 
So like you're holding it in your hand. It's so easy to do the edges of, well, especially matte board, you know, if you want to color that in, or if you just want to blend, you can streak it across. Another thing that I did was um, I taught a bunch of classes. People were not so gentle with the sponge. They destroyed the sponge, but I took the sponge off and then I used the ink to make sprays. I just took it out and added a little water in a spray bottle. So I have uh, sprays. Also, if you um, kind of dab it on your nonstick mat and you add water to it, you can watercolor with it. You can use it as a background. You, there are just tons of different ways you can use these. So Those sponges are tough. I taught a class recently where we use Prima chalk ink pads that you hold in your hand that are yeah. little like cat eye kind of shaped. Right. And like, yeah. I cannot tell you how much time we spent gluing uh the foam back on the bottom it's just those are they're hard to keep on well that and if you go against the edges i mean the the sponge is just so can only take so much so you might tear the edge of it you know if you're like on a stencil that's got some points or rough edges you know it just happens so um that's one thing that i would like to do is get the uh get a replacement top for you know sponge for but I think I don't know if that's going to happen I keep asking but I'm not getting it (laughs) that's okay I mean they only run like five dollars so they're really disposable but if you do mess up your sponge don't throw it away take it off and and use the rest of the ink that's what I do so well, also, yeah, I assume if you needed to, you can still dab or out the ink like into a cosmetic oh, yeah. sponge or something. Yeah, that's true. You could. Yeah. Yeah. What I like about it is, and this is kind of the reason that I thought of it, it's just a pain to use a stamp pad and like an applicator because you have to take the top off the ink, do the little applicator thing, put the top back on. The pigment ink doesn't dry out, so you can leave the cap off for days, which I've done, I don't recommend it, but you know, it's not going to dry up. It's a wet uh, oil-based thing. So that's kind of nice that I don't have to worry about that. There are just a lot of great things. The other thing is once you get the ink out on the surface, um, it's, it does stay wet for a little bit and you can build up layers of it, but um, that's why they're called color box blends because you can blend those colors in together and make other colors. And it's just really fun. Yeah, I've I've always found yeah, well you do have to send me some obviously. Yes. But <laughs> I've always found that the um pigment inks which get me annoyed when I'm stamping because they say yeah. wet so long unless you're embossing right. are yeah. fabulous for when you want to faux paint. So like yeah. through a stencil or like in lieu of paints if you're stuck somewhere, they're such a fabulous product for doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think their colors are really vibrant. I, I that's what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. So cool. So you've been a great guest, Eileen, but it's actually, believe it or not, we've been talking for about an hour. Wow. I know. Time flies when you're with two awesome ladies. It does. It does. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. So where can we find you online? Well, you can find me at Eileen Hold Designs. And if you want to follow the paper trail, um, that's my two-month trip. I have coming up September 9th through... October 30th, um, Eileen Hull Designs or Eileen Hull on Instagram. That's where I put most of my stuff. And I say I'm going to write blogs from the road, but it's just so hard. <laughs> I have to sleep. So the best way to catch me is is there. Or you can go to my blog, EileenHull.com. Perfect. Yeah. And mom, do you have any final Yoda-like words of wisdom to share? 
I'm feeling like it's time for a nap. <laughs> there you go. That is actually, that's very wise. That's very wise. I'm sure you'll curl up in a sunbeam somewhere. Uh, as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, which you should, uh, please use the hashtag found arting podcast. That's all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>